This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, it is my honor this evening to introduce to you tonight Dr. Courtney Zegler, the director of the documentary film Still Black, A Portrait of Black Trans Men. Premiering in 2008, Still Black was conceived during the year Zegler was a doctoral student in the Department of African American Studies at Northwestern University. And I should mention that Dr. Zegler is the first person in history to hold the PhD of African American Studies from Northwestern University. And I was very fortunate to count myself as one of his colleagues at Northwestern uh, at this time. It is amazing to be reunited here to celebrate Still Black and Dr. Zegler. The film you just saw explores transgender transition in the African-American community. Um, grassroots fundraising methods were employed uh, to raise money for this film, uh, using social networking to secure funds to complete the project. Upon release to the queer film uh, festival circuit, the film became one of the most sought after and talked about films representing the trans man of color experience, showing to sold out crowds in cities such as Los Angeles, Toronto, Seattle, Chicago, and Tel Aviv. The film received an Isaac Julian Experimental Award from Queer Black Cinema, International Music Festival, and an Audience Choice Award for Best Documentary in the Real Out Queer Film and Video Festival. In addition to his scholarship and artistic work, he is also the founder of TransHack, an organization that provides support and visibility for trans technologists, and the co-founder of ZAM Labs, a tech company that designs collaborative tools for education. So let's just have another round of applause for Courtney and for Stone Black. And I guess I should mention that I'm Gentai Bursey. I'm assistant professor in feminist studies, and I direct the LGBTQ studies minor. And it's an honor to be here tonight uh, for this really important part of the transmedia series. So let's get started. You know? Have a fun conversation. So you start the documentary by saying that most trans discourse in the public sphere concentrates on white trans folk. Now, this film was made in 2008. And actually, we were talking a little bit over dinner, uh, and Patrice had that great question about, have you seen anything shifting? In terms of representation, the visibility of black trans folk, in particular black trans men, have you seen any shifts uh, in terms of you know, the representational landscape? And maybe, too, I can reiterate that question that we had over dinner, which was, you know, can we, should we be talking about any updates to this? For example, language mm-hmm. and the way we talk about uh, trans experience, but particularly black trans experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, thanks again for having me here. I'm super excited uh, to be able to show So Black and to actually always provide commentary um, because it's a project that was a labor of love and was also kind of really important for my own um, social and medical transition, so it's always an honor for me to see it screen, and it's always like an honor for other people to kind of rep- be able to watch it along too, so that's awesome. Um, so I made the film, uh, just a little bit, little bit of context to, to provide, Please. to answer that question. Um, I was in grad school, and this was a time like really before social media was really what it is now, um, in terms of everybody's super connected in ways that they weren't. So I was really kind of trying to find representations of, of black trans men. And this was three years after YouTube was birthed in 2005. Um, so I was like looking online in those three years before uh, 
writing, directing So Black for representations like, what's going to happen to me? What, did, what am I going to look like? What's going to be my story? Um, and I couldn't find that. And one of the few spaces that I did find online was in the space of YouTube, and there's like a whole plethora of like, uh, kind of uh, trans people who use the, the, the space of testimonial to kind of share our stories. Um, and so YouTube is actually, can, um, somebody should write tons of books on actually uh, trans representation and community building in YouTube. I literally figured out how to be transgender from YouTube from like little kids <laughs> who are like trans kids, like seriously, um, who were just like, I'm doing this and this is how I'm changing my gender. And it's like, okay, <laughs> like, you know. Um, but there wasn't very much representation for, of, of black trans people and uh, black trans men in particular, and I wanted to change that. And so uh, I was like, well, I gotta make this film because uh, I, I was a filmmaker, and that, that's the medium that spoke to me um, the most, and I felt that that's the medium that I can really get stories to be told in the ways I think that they should be very creatively. Um, and so I set out to make the film, and even though it's, it will turn 10 years, which is so wild to me, <laughs> um, which means I've aged 10 years, <laughs> which me is too. so wild to me. <laughs> yeah, right? um, and that the, the idea of black trans uh, masculinities or representation is still so marginal. Um, when I think even now, like the, the trans is in the mainstream, like we have films, like even this media series, like there's films that we, you know, I can go home and my family knows certain like, you know, different words of the trans lexicon is super important. Um, but when people think of trans, they think, in my opinion, and from what I've seen, um, they don't necessarily think of tr black trans men. Um, they don't really think <laughs> that we exist, actually, in so many ways. So even though uh, it's having its 10-year birthday, the 10-year anniversary, um, a lot of like, the discourse of trans has changed, what it means to be trans has changed, we have t tons of representations, but it doesn't really involve or is inclusive of, of men like me. Um, and that's unfortunate, and I think there's a lot of reasons why that is. I think there's a fear of black masculinity. Um, I think that there's uh, uh, even a fear of, of, of black masculinity as it's performed by cisgender black queer women. I think that that's involved, and like, I think there's a lot of like, issues that we haven't really kind of dug deep into having conversations of, of what it means to be trans when we're, we're inclusive of people like me. Um, I'm just rambling, but Not at all. Uh, a lot of different kind of like multimedia projects have come since Still Black uh, that other people have done. It still remains the only film um, about black trans men. Um, it remains the only feature-length film, the only documentary. Um, and that's, that hurts my heart uh, because I think that there should be, someone should actually like, make a film about me and not, not like my ego is like too big, but I think my life is pretty um, extraordinary in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that there needs to be more, definitely I think documentation of, of black trans men because like I said, we don't really don't know these stories. Um, and still black for a lot of people, most of the times, the first time they've ever seen uh, a black trans man on screen, so. Tell us a little bit about the title. Mm -hmm. 
still black. Now, of course, you're playing on portraiture and the idea of the portrait. Exactly. Um, but could you tell me a little bit more? Tell us a little bit more about putting those two terms together. I just see so much richness there. Yeah. I um, also love to talk about it in academic settings because, <laughs> you know, you, uh, you all are in the space for, to, to deconstruct and really get the things that I, get. I was in the academic space when I made the, the piece. And so, yeah, the idea of, of, of being a filmmaker um, and being able to tell a story using the moving image, um, but also in many ways being kind of locked into this idea of, of blackness um, and black masculinity, but also one may choose to transition, um, but they're still, still, they're still a black person and still perceived and like, how does that, you know, how do you navigate um, the world transition, but like people still kind of treat you in the United States based on how, based on your skin. So um, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm going to slow it down and I'm usually not super nervous, but um, I don't, I don't know why today, but so if I stumble a lot, I apologize, but I'm super excited to be here. We're super excited to have (laughs) you and you are just eloquent and perfect. So please don't worry about that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about aesthetics. Uh Tell me uh, a little bit about the decisions that you made in terms of the split screens. We talked a little bit outside about the zooming in, not only on the face, uh, but on hands and Mm -hmm. gestures. Um, And maybe also the choice to keep the film black and white. Mm -hmm. Um, I really wanted to, um, being that it was my first documentary and that I had no money, um, and I was a grad student (laughs) um, with no money, I really wanted to still tell a compelling story. Um, so I, I looked towards like the African-American oral tradition. I was like, I'm just gonna, talking head, easiest way. Talking heads can be very boring. Um, but I still wanted to be, to kind of play off the idea that that's how black folks do that. We tell our stories orally, right? Um, and so it was important for me to, to follow that path, but also make it interesting and also show the idea that of a gender is a performance, um, that we're constantly, even the way I'm sitting now, is I'm doing it because I want to be perceived in this particular way, um, and that's what we're all doing all the time. Um, and so it was important for me to kind of, to, to get the stories, but also document how they were telling me their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was super important to me. Um, and people ask now, they're like, why didn't you follow people around? Because so, life is boring. <laughs> like, you know, life is pretty mundane. We go to work, we, go, we wake up, we, don't, we walk, whatever. Um, but how we like, communicate and tell our stories and, and share with one another, that was like, super important for me to capture. And so I really wanted to, to use the camera as kind of like, um, there were three cameras and I operated all of them. Because um, again, I had no money. <laughs> no mo- this, this film was made for... At the end of the film, you'll see a list of the funders. Um, this was before Kickstarter and Indiegogo and all of those uh, platforms that exist now, where I had a really popular blog called Black Academic, and I was like, I'm making this movie. If anybody wants to give me money, um, I'll put your name in the movie. And so people did that. <laughs> and they were like, the largest donation we got was $1,000 one time. So it was made for like under $10,000. Um, and so I didn't really have a lot of tools, and so it was really important for me to kind of convey these concepts in the cheapest and simplest way possible. And so I felt that I could do that through the camera movements. Mm-hmm. So. Just to go back to something that you were saying, and this kind of critique that why didn't you just follow them around, I think it's really powerful that you chose to interview and film all of your interlocutors 
in what I perceive to be their homes. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can talk a little bit about home and that setting. Did you feel like people were more comfortable there? Did you feel like there was something about the intimacy of being in the home? I mean, there's that wonderful moment. I'm kind of an animal lover. So when the cat comes in and there's an awe moment Mm -hmm. that I had, there's something tender as well about that. And then combined with your aesthetic choices, I just think it's just so beautifully, but I'd just love to hear more about. Thank you, thank you. Bring you everywhere. <laughs> like this, every skinny people like. Um, so the um, I see it uh, to answer your question, black and white. I see the shades of gray. I was really like trying to be cliche. Gender is like you know spectrum, um, but you can do all those things with film, right? That's what it's about. Like sending certain messages with the tool you have. Um, but yes, I did meet everybody in their home, um, except for the poet Jay. That was my home in Chicago. So every time I see the film, I'm just like, oh. Um, it was my, my grad student apartment. Um, but it was important. Oh, and Rashad, he was in my house too. So, and that, that's because we couldn't film their house. But everybody else, I met them where they were because uh, it, it was important for me to. I find home as a very sacred space for me. Um, I also couldn't afford to have people come meet me. So I was like, I'm going to meet you and respect where you are. And I feel that perhaps. Um, having never done a documentary before, I would prob- probably get the best um, stories or make it more comfortable if they were in their house. Mm-hmm. And also, I wanted to, you know, show that black trans men have houses <laughs> and like families and you know things like everybody else has, or that mm-hmm. we don't, you know, right. And so it's important for me to show the cat going by. It's important for me to show Kyler's how he has his law degrees and stuff on his wall because that matters, right? Um, it's like these are people's lives, and so mm-hmm. it was important for me to show that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With all of their objects around exactly. them and their families, mm-hmm. and it's beautiful. Let's talk a little bit about your choice of interlocutors. How did you come to a sense of who you would interview for the film, and was there anyone that you wanted to include um, but couldn't? Um, um, there was one person who I did want to include, and... Uh, I, First, I'll answer how I got. I, so I had a blog, um, and I used that to mm-hmm. reach out to people. I had, a, I had an award-winning blog, which is really cool. And blogging was like before, again, the internet has moved so fast. Um, I had a blog when it was like, when blogging was like on Blogspot. I don't know if you all are familiar. I know you are younger college kids and stuff, but I don't know. That was kind of rude, college kids. I don't like to be called that. <laughs> I was like in college and grad school, so I apologize. Um, so I'm not sure if most of you are all familiar with like early blogging platforms, but uh, I leveraged that to to find a network because I didn't know any black trans men, so it was all online. Um, so I put a call out on my website. Um, I reached out to some kind of groups in Chicago, and it was all word of mouth. Um, people started contacting me. And one person that was really fascinated to include him. He had an amazing story. Um, and we had a conversation. He's like, where do you want to show this film? And I was like, all over the world. And he was like, no, thank you. I did not want to be, mm-hmm. I did not want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, I would love to meet that person now. I don't even remember their name or like how we interacted. Um, but I was also like, you know, pretty excited. I'm like, I'm going to make sure this film is shown <laughs> around the world. Um, and that was before he was even shooting anything. Um, but I believed in the need for it so much and um, that it, could be shown around the world, and that really frightened him because he led a very stealth life. He knew that the stories were were important, but he didn't want to kind of risk outing himself in that way. Um, And he said he didn't want to be anybody's poster boy for transgender. 
Um, so that was very interesting. So that was one person that I would like to have included. But it was all word of mouth. Everybody emailed. We did a kind of casting call over the phone where I just like talked to them, had a conversation. Um, and it ended up with the men in the film. And they were able to move as forward as possible. I shot it in six months. Excuse me. I shot it and edited in six months when I was uh, completing my doctoral exams. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Grad school was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The grad school was like, I went through grad school. Uh, it wasn't very difficult. I think it's, grad school is not difficult for anybody. It's right. It's like the atmosphere and the politics of it all. Yes. And the, the environment. Like the work is fun and easy because it's like what you're, you're creating something. Um, so it wasn't very difficult because I had an artistic project that I was working on. Mm-hmm. So when I tell people I was doing my exams, they were like, oh my God, how did you? <laughs> and I was like, well, okay, because um, I had art to kind of help mitigate the academic stuff. So Stress and yeah. all that. Yes, yeah. I know that too, all too well. Um, yeah. You know, this film really, I think, from my perspective, really invites us to fall in love with all of the interlocutors that you uh, include. And for me in particular, seeing so many of them coming from Chicago, um, of course, knowing you and having our history and all of that good stuff. Um, but have you kept in touch with your interlocutors? Do you know where they are now and what they're doing? Yes, um, Facebook. <laughs> yeah, right. Facebook is great. Uh, speaking of technology, um, that is the main way we keep in touch. Um, but I just sent Ethan, the guy with all the tattoos, uh, a pair of Doc Martens that I didn't want anymore because he's like, you know, in the leather and stuff. And like, so it's things like that. Um, but simple gestures of like checking in. And I just saw Lewis actually at, I go to a, there's a black trans men conference that is in their sixth year that it started because it's still black, which is awesome. Um, and that happens every year in Dallas. And uh, I just saw Lewis like two weeks ago. Uh, Jay. Uh, I'm actually, uh, my business partner right now is uh, one of his good friends, and we didn't know each other prior to the film. It's weird how like people in my life are super connected to Still Black um, by happenstance, but I do keep in touch with everybody on a pretty general level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great to hear about this conference in Dallas as well. Could you tell us maybe a little bit about what happened there? What were yeah. some of the issues or exciting moments for you there? Yeah, um, so the conference started what is it, 2017, two, well six years ago, do the math, I'm bad at math. Um, and I doubt that. it was, it, <laughs> I'm counting my fingers. Uh, it was started uh, because the founder was so moved by Still Black and he's like, there has to be, we're gonna do this conference. Um, and so it has grown to be the premier kind of black trans conference that happens every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so workshops happen about, you know, sexual health, mental health. Um, it's just a really space to, for people to come together to have community. Um, and then they give out awards and there are four pillar awards. There's a Courtney Ziegler award, which is really cool. Um, Super cool. and so, yeah, so they give out awards. There's a Lewis Mitchell award, the Monica Roberts. I don't know if you all are familiar with, uh, Monica Roberts, she's a black trans woman, um, trans griot. And then there's a Kyla Broaddus Award. So they give out these four pillar awards, these uh, foundation awards, um, every year to black trans folks who are doing amazing work in the community. Um, so yeah, sixth year. Um, you can probably look them up, Black Trans Advocacy Organization. Uh, they changed their name twice, but they're the only conference for black trans folks that's happening. So. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I want to talk about the film forever, but mm-hmm. I also would love uh, to give you a chance to talk about some of the other projects that you are involved in, mm-hmm. particularly Zam Labs and TransHack and yeah. hackathons and all this good stuff that we were beginning to talk a little bit about over dinner and all of that. But uh, yeah, to tell the crowd here about all of the wonderful uh, activities you're involved with. Um, I had a really difficult time after I completed my PhD, living, sustaining life. Um, it was a horrible time, and I, I um, when I finished school in 2011, um, even though I was the first graduate and had like a really awesome kind of history of amazing work, it was really difficult for me to find employment. And I attributed a lot of it to um, being who I am and my decision to live my authentic self and having no issues with it. But I think a lot of people, you know, do. I think a lot of trans people experience discrimination. And actually, trans people are like some of the most educated folks who actually experience uh, discrimination and finding employment and, you know, other kinds of uh, spaces of economic advancement. Um, If we're comparing kind of marginalized groups, trans people have like PhDs, MDs, JDs, um, which is amazing um, and very frustrating. So I, I hit, I experienced that. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, uh, went through two years of like this really deep, dark financial depression. Um, I had almost lost my apartment. Uh, I had my car repossessed, and I had, I've never had any of those like horrible things happen. And it was like, which you know, there were big things for me because it was something that I had never experienced in my life. Um, so I was like losing all these things, and you know, like literally about to lose my home. And I live in the Bay Area. I live in Oakland, and I'm surrounded by entrepreneurs in the tech space. And so I was like, well, how do I kind of align myself in this space, but also create something where I can continue being an advocate? Um, because it's important for me, because I know what it's like to, to be trans and um, to not have access to certain things that I need and to be discriminated against and for all these, you know, these things, whatever. Um, and so I live in Silicon Valley. I was like, let me figure out this tech thing. And so I started a hackathon, which I don't know if you all know what a hackathon is, but it's really just a, a bunch of folks who come together who make an awesome product in like a marathon session. Um, I sometimes say it's like a kind of like a jam session where musicians come together, play different instruments, and they make this awesome new song. So just imagine like software. It <laughs> um, just sounds, could be boring, but it's actually kind of amazing. Um, and that really took off. And ever since then, I've been in tech, building awesome things for the trans community and building awesome things for myself. I really think it's a space that's problematic, problematic as it is, which any space is, I think, mm-hmm. when we're like dealing in capitalism. <laughs> um, but I really like it as a space for potential wealth building for trans people because it is one of the spaces where, I don't know if you all are familiar with tech, it's like, you know, it's, I attribute, like, I compare it a lot to the academy where you can, you know, be yourself in a lot of ways. You don't have to wear a suit if you don't want to. Um, you are creating something. You're looked at as an expert. So you're, and you have all this ability like, to, to generate new thought, new things. And that's what the tech space is. It's like innovation and moving fast. And how can we build, 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 build new stuff? Um, and so it's a little bit more welcoming to trans people who, you know, some of us stand out or who, who we are. And, and because it's uh, a space about start, starting up and starting new things, it's also a space where trans people can like set policies in different ways than at other established institutions. Um, and so that's what I do now. I'm building a company, and I'm really excited about 
our progress, and I never thought that I would be building a company, um, but I am. It's really cool, and we're actually doing really well. And yeah, it's a, tech is a really hard space. I think it's the most difficult space I've ever been in in my life thus far. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think it's awesome, and I would love for you all to follow our work at transhack.org. Um, and yeah. Do you want to say a little something about Zam Labs? Or? Yeah, um, and Zam Labs is the actual company I'm building. Uh, Transhack is a portfolio nonprofit in the overall company we're building. But uh, I met my co-founder who lives in Chicago, um, and she's a brilliant person. And she, um, I was, I had gotten one job <laughs> that I it was like an adjunct at San Francisco State, um, and it was like. Mid 2013, I just got it, and I had met my co-founder, and she's like, "Do you want to quit your job and start a company?" And I was like, "I just got a job," uh, and I was like, "Yes, yes, I will do that." Um, and so we gotten together and have really focused on building tools for adult education, which is great because I've been an educator for so long. Um, and we build software, which is I don't know how I went from a humanities-based PhD to building software, but. It happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's awesome, so, yeah. You want to talk a little politics? Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yesterday, Texas, um, mm-hmm. uh, yet again, uh, is in the news. They amended Senate Bill 2078, which focuses on school districts' multi-hazard emergency operations plans um, to add bathroom restrictions that directly target and police mm-hmm. trans people in Texas. Now, of course, we've talked about bathrooms are not the only issue, but more often than not, that's where we're getting North Carolina, Texas in the news. Mm-hmm. But if we can use that and our audience's knowledge of that in the mainstream media, maybe we can begin to talk about what's going on in California. You know, there's a lot of different opinions about where California ranks, mm-hmm. regionally speaking, in terms of being progressive or not. And you and I both know we got a lot of work to do yeah. here. <laughs> but maybe we could talk a little bit with the audience about what kind of work do we need to be doing here in California? What are the issues that are most important and most urgent when we're talking about black trans communities? Um, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the, the bathroom, uh, what's happening with in, in North Carolina and um, issues of, uh, the, kind of bringing up the issues of safety and, and all these things, I think it's a super important moment that we're living mm-hmm. in and I'm super grateful that we have activists um, who are sharing the, the kind of reality of what's happening and and I'm lucky to live in California. Um, It is, we are probably the easiest state to, for a trans person to uh, acquire resources to transition or support one's transition. Um, And I'm very privileged to live here. So like even with my own transition, I didn't have to have anybody say anything that I couldn't do, be who I am. Um, because California says if you, who you are is who you are, and that's who you are. <laughs> um, it's not like that in you know other states. People have to you know jump through certain hoops, get in certain letters. Um, super grateful. We have. Um, I live in the Bay Area, and so uh, there's healthcare even prior to the Affordable Healthcare Act, which is awesome. Um, and so all these things are like kind of trans-related procedures are covered. Um, which is awesome. I think one of the things that could be, of course, better, California is a, you know, expensive state. So we don't really see 
I mean, I personally don't know a lot of black trans people who actually live in the state <laughs> to like take mm -hmm. advantage of the resources, to be honest. Um, mm. Even where I live, like of, I live in Oakland and it's hyper gentrification happening in Oakland because of tech. And even though I'm in that space, um, not everybody in my life is. And so a lot of black trans folks I know have had to move away. Um, and so issues such as gentrification uh, and super, I think, important mm -hmm. that are that, you know, I think we have conversations um, about gentrification in certain spaces. Um, but not necessarily how it affects trans people, in particular black trans people. Um, I think the, the conversations are super important about the fatalities that black trans women face. Um, but I also think that, that we need to be more inclusive in our conversations so there can be more cross-coalition building um, across black trans folks. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that there's like, lots of things that aren't being spoken about, about black trans men in particular, um, because there's not a lot of... Uh, discussions uh, or interest in our lives, but a lot of us are like, um, what I say is like black trans women are dying like at the hands of uh, black cis, cis men and other cis men. Um, and black trans men are, are, black trans men are being murdered. Black trans men are slowly dying from depression. Um, and then like our depression rates are like kind of skyrocketing now. And there are people who are doing like, like kind of like small studies, um, personal studies and things like that. Um, but Black trans men also have uh, our HIV AIDS rates are going up. So there's like all this like this kind of new experiences that people are having that that aren't necessarily being part of the, the conversations that should be. Mm -hmm. um, they're not being included in the conversations. And so there's so many issues that we don't even know. Like we're like when I talk to people, I'm like literally like every black trans guy I know is depressed. <laughs> like, like it's, this is a problem. Like, why? why? It's hard to find a job, right? You can't really be yourself. You can't really emote anymore in so many ways because people want to um, minimalize your experience to masculinity, which is not, it's not so simple, like, in my, in my opinion. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that kind of get left out in the conversations um, that extend beyond the bathroom issues. Um, but the bathroom issues is super important because it allows other kind of conversations to come in. So. Now, we, the question was kind of from the perspective of the macro, right, and also dominant society, but we're also talking a little bit about queer and trans communities as well. Do you see, what do you see as kind of the space, is there a space for these issues for black trans men uh, within dominant gay and lesbian rights uh, discourses in California? Um, in some ways, I think, not in not ways, not enough. Um, I was, I was, great question. I was at, uh, at Bar the Barclays. Uh, so I, it's so weird being in the tech space because I'm like constantly being around billionaires and I'm not a billionaire, um, but I'm constantly, like that's all like, I'm surrounded in now, right? Like, so I was like invited to like give, talk about my work at Barclays and I was like, great, that's so awesome. Um, but it was like talking about, uh, I'm a little spacey, about uh, marriage and how, you know, uh, marriage equality in California and like how we're so lucky to live there. And I was like, that's great. It's a great, that's super important. Um, I know trans people who identify as gay and will love to get married. So, you know, so those were like great, you know, those are great things to be including us in. Um, but now that that's a reality, right, anybody can get married now. So where do we move the conversation now? And I don't think it has moved in ways that it needs to. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I, yeah, and it's unfortunate. So I'm, I'm constantly like, I'm here, I exist. Um, you're gonna recognize me. Um, I get a lot of pushback because nobody really wants to hear that all the time. We want to kind of have more like easier kind of topics to tackle. Hmm. Um, marriage was one. Yep. And so now it's like, I think it's a little bit uh, intimidating for people to kind of rally around another topic, um, especially in the state of California, which we talked about is gr growing super, growing more conservative um, because it's super expensive to live here. Um, it's pushing mm -hmm. people out. And, but I'm gonna try to stay here as long as possible because like I said, it's really awesome. But I, I do think, I'm gonna stop right there because. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, actually, right now we have a movement on this campus um, for all trans folk and, and also non-binary folk mm -hmm. um, to demand and recognize the need for trans-specific care that is not just friendly, mm -hmm. but savvy. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is kind of a utopian question, but can you offer any advice to our students who are on the front lines doing this sort of work, facing off with doctors, facing off with institutional powers that are so much, that feel so much greater than they are. Um, and they are doing the work. They're doing it right now. But, you know, what, what advice might you be able to offer those, those student, burgeoning student activists? And also, what, what might be your ideal? Um, what if we could make... Um, whatever we wanted for all of our communities, but specifically maybe, maybe even starting at our center, thinking about the black trans subject at the center of that. What might that look like to your mind? Um, I'm going to answer your first question. I think uh, for the younger people, um, you are, especially like in, in institutions with like the medical field, um, your voice is super important. It matters. Um, there is people who are doing trans or research on trans people or with the trans community um, will not have the information if it wasn't for the actual lived experience yes. and the bodies that they're kind of pulling from. And we have power in that situation um, in so many ways. Uh, quick example, uh, you know, there are per people in my life who have different transitional related surgeries, it might, even myself, and have to like literally tell their doctors what they need and what they should be doing um, and where they should be getting their information from and have to like literally educate you know, surgeons, <laughs> which is a big deal. There's power in that and it's important for, I think, younger people or anybody, younger, all trans folks who are kind of, you know, being, you know, to remember that. Um, and I guess the, the other part, what, what would kind of utopia be? I don't know. I guess and I'm pretty just a person about, I wonder what utopia is for all of us. Mm -hmm. And um, hopefully it's we can all be ourselves. Um, I think as I age, I'm becoming a little bit more of a pessimist or a realist, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I'm starting to like see that utopia is fleeting and that's really scary. But I really hope that like um, the, the, the people who are like coming up, the youngsters yes. we're we'll talking about who are really kind of, going to put me back in my place and, and really help me, help me to kind of reimagine what uh, a, a, a space that like centers who I am and my lived experience and really honors and supports and recognizes that. And I'm, I've not been in that yet um, or hit that point in my life. And so I guess I, I hope um, people who are, you know, 
after me that really helped me to come back <laughs> to the, the, the positive side. So I can imagine what that utopia would be like. So I can imagine what it is to center someone like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a struggle, so it's a hard one to answer. It is. Well, I think I'd like to open it up to the floor, if that's yeah. okay with you. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, time for questions from the audience. And um, we're going to invite you to um, take a mic, just so you're audible. Dr. Constance Penley. Hello. Thank you so much for your film. Thank you. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I love the film. I'm very curious about the creativity that you're doing in the tech world now. And you mentioned uh, software that you've created uh, to help make trans lives people better. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you give an example of the kind of software you're creating? Yeah, um, so um, I don't, have you ever all heard of this app, Refuge Restrooms? Uh, so something like that uh, has come out of Trans Hack Spaces, um, an app where people can find trans and safe restrooms. Um, one of the, there's a, uh, sorry, I'm a little bit spacey. I said this before. Um, and it's not like I'm not on the same time. I only flew from Oakland this morning, so <laughs> it's like, I'm like being dramatic. <laughs> so jet lagged. It's like a 30-minute flight. <laughs> um, there is a nonprofit, which is the first kind of tech-driven nonprofit in the world, which uh, was incubated in Transag that helps people find and rate uh, medical procedures who are safe with. It's called Rad Remedy. Um, there is uh, apps for people to kind of rate um, locations that trans-friendly locations. It's so interesting that you use that word. Um, <laughs> and so things like that. Uh, a lot of them have been primarily focused around healthcare and finding safe spaces um, and very similar themes. Like so, Rad Remedy was the first. Uh, My Trans Healthcare. Um, came out, we uh, partnered with Harvard in their innovation lab, and we produced another healthcare app. Um, and so it, they were primarily, and primarily healthcare focus and um, finding safe spaces focus. We've evolved into, now we primarily focus on bringing visibility to other trans technologies and founders. Um, and so a lot of our work we do is virtual. We actually built a platform called The Loft where we hold live events. Um, we had a virtual conference um, about a few months ago where we had trans people from all over the world, which is really cool. <laughs> we had a four-hour online conference, um, and it was amazing. And we had people from different countries showing their work, what they're building, um, game design, that it have trans characters, stuff that mm. doesn't come out of trans hack, but the other trans people are doing. Um, and so that's a lot of the work that we do now. But Have you thought um, about a dating app? Uh, no, I haven't, but um, there's actually uh, who, Morgan uh, Brommel. Um, they created an app called Thirst, um, T-H-U-R-S-T, and it's the first app for, uh, I don't know what their tagline is, but it's for trans people, and they're uh, a genderqueer person of color, so... Look Thirst Up. Uh, that's, they, they're on it. <laughs> they're on it. Uh, they have been featured in our uh, online series. We have an online speaker series. Um, and so Morgan has come on and talked about their work. Cool. Yeah. 
Courtney, thank you for this movie. Mm -hmm. This was just an amazing experience to see it. I wanted to follow up on Jen's questions about the aesthetics of the film because that was really interesting to me. And I'm wondering um, about the extent to which you sort of are and aren't visible in the movie, particularly the, um, you know, the choice not to have the questions there. Like there's one point at which one of your subjects says like next question mm -hmm. or something like that. But in general, you're not, you're not, that visible. Um, and I wondered about that aesthetic decision and the points at which you do kind of insert yourself there. I, I didn't want to include myself. Um, I'm, there's a, I know we're talking about, uh, in terms of feeling and theme, but I was also there for one second in the beginning. I'm setting up the camera. Um, I have a mohawk. It's way cuter. <laughs> and I was like on it. Um, <laughs> and I was like setting up the camera. And that was like my... my uh, Introduction. I'm right in the beginning, in the beginning. Um, but I didn't want to... I think it was because I was still, like, researching who I was and really wanted to... But I'm definitely in it in terms of all the camera work. Not only me physically carrying the camera, um, but me deciding on what to move and, like, what to look at and what to emphasize. And I don't know uh, if anyone notices, but... Uh, in talking head documentaries, people usually finish each other's sentences. Like someone will be saying something, they'll cut to somebody else and they'll finish. And I really wanted to have everybody's kind of like breathing and tone. And so I really, all the edits were when people would take, you know, make gestures or have a breath or like have a moment of thought. Um, and that was something that for me personally, like was pleasing me because I wanted to, them to be like one cohesive kind of representation. Um, so yeah, I'm in it in a lot of ways, but I also really wanted to emphasize on their individuality um, as people, so. Hey Courtney, thank you so much. Um, so you, you touched on this a little bit earlier with um, gentrification and living in Oakland. Um, and I wanted to ask you um, sort of how do you, <clears throat> excuse me, how do you balance um, what, I, what I perceive to be sort of this folding in of trans bodies, particular trans bodies, into corporate capitalism, mm. um, you know, with gentrification and gentrification to, to prison pipeline. Um, how do you balance that with sort of resisting this, like, resting of certain trans bodies? So, I mean, did you resist from within, or sort of how do you... Reconcile. Oh, that's a, that's a very, uh, I don't know. I think it's something I question every single day. Um, seriously, like how do I even, um, you know, finding myself implicated in the space of Silicon Valley that is literally about, not necessarily about making great contributions to the world, but it's about how to get rich. Um, and I'm in that space. And, you know, I'm, my idea is like, I'm, you know, I want to be a cautious capitalist, but what does that mean when I'm existing in a system that is literally um, turning out, using up bodies like mine and killing people like me? Um, so I think it's, it, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> um, and it's something that I really would love to think through more. And I, I'm constantly like thinking about in my work and in the space that I exist in, and especially going from being an independent filmmaker um, who was in school, you know, studying like, you know, I guess 
you know, socially driven ideas or whatever. And now I am, again, like speaking at Microsoft and like, you know what I mean? So it's like a weird, it's a weird space that even I um, interrogate myself in quite often and thinking about how am I resisting and if it's even worth being in a space to resist in. And some, that's something I question every single day. Uh, the tech space is the most violent, racist space I've ever existed in. And I've been in private white institutions as a, as a black trans person. Um, and it is the, the this most harmful space I've ever been in, I think, in so many ways professionally. Um, but then sometimes I'm like, well, I'm going to stay because that's my way of resisting. I'm going to stay in this capitalist space and, and thrive because that's my way of being you know, I deserve to be here. Um, but it's super complicated, and I'm constantly questioning, questioning my, a lot of things um, all the time. But I think that what's awesome is that I remain true to myself, and I continue to support my community and really focus on ways to, to sustain black trans lives, and by extension, um, everyone else's life that is associated with, with my own. So I hope that was a great way to answer that, actually. That's a perfect answer, <laughs> and I think it's a great way to end. I want to thank everyone at the Carsey Wolf and the uh, Pollock Theater. Of course, you, Courtney, for yeah, being man. here and for bringing your amazing film, thank and you. for all of you for being such an amazing audience. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.